This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is In the Workplace on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here are Professor Peter Capelli and Dan O'Mara. Hey, folks, you're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli, professor of management here at the Wharton School. Uh, with me today is not Dan O'Mara. With me is Connor Joyce. Uh, so Connor has been working with us on the show here for this year, and um, we're going to have to inflate and create a new title for uh, Connor. Um, so what do you think here? Deputy producer? Now you can say co-host. Oh, wow. There uh, we go. There's tons of people, by the way, who come to Wharton to give talks and classes who afterwards... Uh, just say they teach at Wharton. So I think you can say that you're a co-host All right. the show. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about happiness in this half hour. And uh, Connor is just finishing a degree here. Um, and so do you mind if we ask how old you are? Yeah, Connor? I'm 25. 25? Ooh, I thought you were older than that. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Connor's 25. Um, how would you rate your happiness at this point in your life? And is it up or down from where you were Let's say when you graduated from college, what do you think? Ah, that's a good question, and uh, I'll I'll put it on a scale of ten. I'd I'd say uh, happiness level I'm probably about an eight or a nine right now. It's, okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I'd say it only comes in spurts when I'm going to actually hit that ten. But uh, but <laughs> okay. I, overall things are pretty good. Student okay. life is nice. <laughs> are they up from uh, uh, from college years? From yeah uh, yeah yeah I'd say being here uh, it's nice to be uh, in the master's program being a little bit of step uh, step above the undergrads and I think gives an extra little bit of power there so okay so, so being a graduate student is is a plus yep definitely okay. definitely uh, so we're going to talk about happiness here a little bit and what happiness does to people or what what it looks like over their lifetime up and down uh, and we're going to talk about this with some really interesting uh, data uh, and with us to talk about this is Danny Blanchflower who's professor of economics at Dartmouth and has been looking at this stuff for quite a while. Uh, Danny, welcome. Oh, hello. Yes, good. Thanks Thanks for having me. Uh, it is our pleasure. Uh, so you've been working on these topics for quite a while. So before we get into this particular uh, study, uh, maybe we could back up just a little bit and ask you uh, why, <laughs> why you got interested <laughs> in studying happiness. This is not the thing economists necessarily focus on this is kind of thing psychologists look at so how'd you get interested in this well the dismal science always had to think about the well-being of people kind of thinking about their utility yeah and about 20 years ago i started to get interested in happiness data for one reason i mean i was a person who studied wages and when you look at wage data around the world it doesn't matter what data set you look at which country you look at patterns in the data look to be the same. Okay. And I got to be quite intrigued because there's lots of actual data asking people, how happy do you feel? Well, it turns out that the patterns in the data, no matter how you ask it, where you look at it, on a number of respects are pretty much the same. Hmm. And over time now, what we see is actually the happy data um, validates pretty well. I'll give you an example. Okay. It turns out that people do experiments with students. And they ask them, give, give us a, tell us how happy you are on a scale of 1 to 10. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is they do a skin biopsy. And then they go and look and find out how fast does, does the wound heal. And surprise, surprise, people who say they're happier at the outset heal faster. 
Really? But there's lots huh. of, yeah, there's lots of huh. positive characteristics to happiness. Uh-huh. And there's patterns in the data. So I'm a labor economist. The thing that struck me the most was that at every time you ever look at data anywhere, the unemployed are unhappy. Yeah. So that has set me thinking, you know, is unemployment voluntary or involuntary? Well, if it was voluntary, it'll make people happy, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. that's, so there's something that's a pattern in the data. And to get to what we're going to talk about today, something that always seemed to be a puzzle and had been a puzzle to me for 20 years was that in the data, it was very hard to see any evidence that kids made you happy. Uh And I had kids and and it sort of struck me, that doesn't make any sense. Not least if you had one and they didn't make you happy, why would you have more? Some of the data was pretty, you know, happiness is U-shaped in age and women are women are happier than men and marriage makes you happier and all that stuff but this seemed to me to be a particularly puzzling result um because you know you wouldn't think that kids made you unhappy anyway so that's where Mm -hmm. i got to it and i've been thinking about it for a really long time Mm -hmm. and actually i was at a conference last year with a famous psychologist in edina we had this meeting out in utah and we started talking about it. Then Andrew Clark, my co-author, we started to think about what could we do about it? Could we kind of think about how does the economics impact happiness? So that's how this all started out. Psychologist Edina said, well, guys, I think it's a good idea. Go away and work on it, which we did. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get to, um, get to I think we've solved the puzzle. Okay, we'll get to that in just a second. But let me see if we can, this is really just my way of dragging this out a little bit before we get to your punchline, uh, and, and ask you, what is it that people usually assume in terms of what makes you happy? Because everybody thinks that this is a pretty straightforward question. Let me just ask Connor here, who's at that point. And, and the good news for Connor is you're going to get happier. He's 25 right now. Uh, oh, no, he's going to be unhappy for a while yet. Uh, but it, it looks like he's going to go down the happiness scale for a while. Till about 28, right? Yeah, he's going to go down for about another decade. Oh, 10 then, years. Well, yeah, yeah, not another decade, maybe more. And then, okay. then it'll start to rise. Ah, uh, depends whether he has yeah. kids, though, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to impact it too, but yeah. we'll talk about that. We'll but come to that in a second. To be U-shaped in age, yeah. Okay, right, so, so what is it that most people think when you are at a cocktail party and you tell, if you tell people that you study happiness? Um, what do they tell you? Oh, it's got to be about what? Money? What do they think? What do you think <laughs> um, typically well, uh, people tell you? Well, I think I, I, hear, I hear people talk about, they talk about love and happiness. They talk about money and happiness. Yeah, you know, can't can't, you know, can't buy me love, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. And people like to talk about that, and it certainly appears that money has an impact on happiness. But I tell people, in a sense, the surprise to me as an economist mm-hmm. was how little happiness money bought. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mo- so mo- money didn't buy that much. It, you know, the, the non-money things like you know having friends and going to the art gallery and having a nice environment and mm-hmm. all those things turned out to be, you know, it turned out that they had big effects. And to compensate people for those effects in money terms took an awful lot of money. So money can buy you happiness a bit, mm-hmm. but it turns out it, I mean, I always tell students about what I call the Arnold Schwarzenegger effect, which is that Schwarzenegger said my 30th million didn't make me as happy as my first. Ah. So <laughs> I, you know, there's, <laughs> Diminishing returns. There's some yeah. of that. But, I, but I think that the, the evidence of actually saying, can we ask people about what makes them happy? I think looks to be sensible, mm-hmm. an honourable estate 
And I think economists are doing a lot more of it, as did Alan Kruger, who sadly died this last week. Yeah. Mm. Very good work on it with Angus Deaton and others. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the famous economists have been working on this. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Uh, I think uh, there's a perception that, um, well, that's a good question, really, is what does the average person think? Because you certainly hear that um, money can't buy happiness. Personally, I'm happy to run that experiment uh, and have people drop a lot of money on me and see if that affects me in any particular way. I think uh, uh, there's pretty good evidence, I think, that uh, lack of money can start to make you pretty unhappy, right? right? Right. But uh, there's diminishing marginal utility to dumping more money yeah. on people for sure i think that that's sounds right that that's changed too with the basic income experiments that have that have been going on that there's been uh, mm. I, I can't reference any specifically but i've seen some more connections between money and happiness with, at with the very those. low level at the very low yeah, level especially yeah. right 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 well, so, so certainly the, the mm-hmm. famous easterland result is that if you look at countries as countries gdp per capita rises there's this, so if you look at poor countries, yep. the happiness of the country rises, but then diminishing marginal utility is set in. And if we look at countries like the United States, the evidence in the U.S. is that at best, happiness over the last 30 or 40 years has been flat. Mm-hmm. And over the last decade or so, it's been falling. Yep. So that's the, but in, but in less developed countries, in, you know, in Poland, in Peru, over time, their happiness rises. So what's true of people is also true of countries, and we've just seen that in the last couple of days. The World Happiness Report came out, oh. and the U.S. ranked 19th, mm-hmm. 19th, <laughs> and they just beat out the United Arab Emirates and the Czech Republic. Uh, ooh. Wow, Wow, quite an achievement there. Uh, So let's talk about your particular study. You've been doing these studies for a while, but this one is a little different in that you're focusing on the role of children in particular. Uh, And let me tell you what I I think I know about this, uh, particularly from your colleague Danny Gilbert, who has written about this, is a psychologist about this. And uh, the thing that uh, that he pointed out, which I always found interesting, is if you ask older people of my generation, people who have had kids, and you ask them, when were you happiness, uh, happiest, Connor, what do you think people say? <laughs> Those years in between marriage and having children? They don't say that, actually. Uh-huh. They say when you had little kids, uh-huh. when the kids were little, right? Well, uh, that's the data we have kind of is consistent with that. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think what he found was that if you, when you looked at people keeping diaries, right, mm-hmm. um, and you looked at their happiness at the point in time rather than retrospectively, right? So retrospectively, people looking back say, "Oh, it was when my kids were littlest." But the diary data showed that um, that actually, when when you get really little kids, they first arrive. It's pretty difficult, <laughs> and that you're kind of rationalizing after the fact. And if you get more kids, it gets way more difficult, right? As some and, of my friends start starting to have kids. That's, right. That's, that's right. follows right. along with that anecdote. Yeah. So, uh, so Danny, one of the things that, that you find, and I'm, I'm talking here, I guess, generally before we get to your particular research, but mm. the studies getting up to this, is that uh, there are different effects if you ask people happiness in children, what age the kids are, Right. And right. and what what's been the typical story about that? Are people happier with younger kids? Little kids are cute, or older kids? What's what's well, the typical in, story? In general, I mean, in some sense, the puzzle is that you can't really get much much um, traction at all from a child, you know, from looking at kids for whatever their age or not. 
Um, so that, I mean, sometimes you actually find that we start out in our paper actually showing that the standard result, and you get the standard result in the American data, is that children, in fact, the first pass, not just um, have, don't raise your happiness, but actually lower it. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the issue, I think, and we're going to deal talk about it in a minute, has to do with, as you say, how old the kids are, how old the parents are. But I think there's another issue, which we spend a lot of time thinking about, which is, are they your kids? Oh. Mm-hmm. So that, so mm-hmm. things, so what we found is that if you imagine someone's married, um, the happiest people with children are the ones who are married with children from this partnership. Right. But what about if you have kids from a prior partnership and they're not your kids? Mm-hmm. So that turns out to be important. And the other thing it turns out is that people are divorced, separated, widowed, and actually single. Having kids turns out not to really make them happy, partly because they're so if you like, so unhappy from being divorced, widowed, right. and separated. Right. So it right. turns out that it, our paper just shows us that it's kind of complicated. I mean, imagine having young kids that aren't yours mm-hmm. um, and you're divorced. I mean, there's, you know, there's all sorts of things, things layered on there. going on. So our paper tries mm-hmm. to separate that out. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, I think we, can, we, can, we actually can answer the question. And we have data on a million people. And we found questions in surveys that we'd never seen before. Yeah. That's why we did the study, because we tried to answer the questions that you sensibly asked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's say... Uh, I think we've answered lots of them. Yeah. Let's add one more that you look at, and that is country differences, right? So children, depending right. where you are, uh, can make you unhappy, but having children in a different country, not so much. So what countries would you say uh, are ones where it's good to have kids, where that is kids make you happy? Well, well I mean... I, it, that, that, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, in a sense, you've asked me a tough question. Let's just go with the simple answer, and then I'll give you a twist. Okay. So if you look at the, at the happiest countries, if I took you to say yes, my study finds the same. The World Happiness Report came out yesterday, and they find that all the Scandinavian countries particularly are happy. Mm-hmm. Some of them have free childcare and so on, and having children there makes you very happy. But why there's a twist in the tale is that if I was to ask you, tell me about countries that have the highest suicide rate, <laughs> those countries pretty much mm. are up there as well. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. not. So to answer your question, it's not quite that simple, mm-hmm. right? It's there's, there's, it's it's true that in those countries they're very happy, and it appears that children make them happy. But there's a there's a but, and there's a twist in the tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it could be, I suppose, uh, to reconcile that, that uh, Scandinavian countries, people are really happy, but there's some really depressed people. <laughs> it could be, well, it could be the weather. I mean, in, yeah, it could, it could be the weather. But the other thing is if you're in a country, I mean, there's a certain group of people who are going to be depressed, yep. let's say it's 2%, but you compare yourself to others, yeah. and perhaps comparing yourself to everybody else who's really happy makes it harder. So yeah. Lots of things we know in happiness research is, that relative things matter. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of research says that, I mean, perhaps, perhaps happiness hasn't risen because I compare myself to you. And uh, I'm, I'm my colleague, Erzo Lutmer, has been not, done lots of work on this and finds that if, you, if I buy a new Lexus, that's great, but my happiness doesn't rise if you buy one. Right. right? So, <laughs> right. so you compare yourself to, to others. So this is all kind of complicated. Right. So relative things certainly matter, and we've, we've learned that. 
Mm-hmm. And this is one of the issues with income inequality rising, right, is the yes. sense that uh, it's making lots of people unhappy because of it. Okay, so the study that you folks did uh, looks across Europe, and you've got a million responses, which is right. pretty unusual as a, as a way to, right. to generate results here. Uh, let's uh, maybe get to some of the things that uh, were just the descriptive results. And as I recall in the study, the happiest people... Uh, were people who had no children but were married, right? These are folks who are... Well, let's, let's, let's just start out. This, I mean, there's two parts to this. The first part is if we just look at the raw data, we just say, tell us, tell us who's, who's the happiest, just without trying to understand anything. Yep. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're obviously going to say to you is that we need to try and understand what's going on as well. Mm-hmm. So we can start out and say, yeah, in, in the raw data, it looks kind of that way. But actually, you know, when, when you start to test the waters, you get, you get rather different things. So, so yes, that's true. Um, um, but that's, in a sense, that's the story we start from, which is that in the raw data, it doesn't right. look that married people with children would be the happiest. It's kind of the Pope would want. The Pope would look at these data and go, Not married happy. people with children, <laughs> they, would, they would be the people we hope would be the happiest, right? If you right. think of if you think of what religion's about. Right, right. And so he wouldn't be happy with that, uh, the descriptive result. And, but right. let's just play out the descriptive results for people. So the single people living um, living with a partner without children, Correct. they would be the happiest. Divorced people, or people who are widowed, um, right. they're unhappy, maybe not surprising. Right. A, and widow, widow, a widowed person living with children... Is especially unhappy. Especially unhappy, and and that yes. all seems uh, reasonably right. sensible, right? And people with right. partners are happier um, than those who are remarried, right? So people who had, I guess, with a partner and and never having lost that partner, you're happier right. than people who are married but have right. remarried, right. Right? right? And even those folks are more happy than people who are single, that is, they don't have a partner, right? Right. Right. So so that's kind of the average result. So tell us from there uh, a little bit about what you find from there and also about the, right. the role of children. So, so the, sim- the simple thing an economist tries to think about, so let's, con- let's try and look at the data and what do we find in the data. Does, does, does having a kid, just in the, in the first pass looking at the data, does having a kid make you happier? And what we find very simply is that having just simply having a child lowers your happiness. Okay. That's the first that's the first pass that we see. Yep. And in a sense that's the result that everybody has. It's a very stark result. It doesn't, mm-hmm. didn't make a lot of sense to us. And we said, well why would that be? Go back to our points. Why would you have kids if they made you less happy? Yep. So in the <laughs> data we had some really good stuff. We knew about various kinds of marital status. We knew about the number of kids, we knew about the age of kids. Um, and we knew one big thing, because we're economists, we said, well, let's go think about the consequences of having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids are expensive. So what's really nice, in a way, about this paper is I came out, and when you try and study across countries, there's a problem about, well, in France they use the euro, and in the UK they use the pound, and right. it's pretty hard to, to get a nice comparable variable. So we found this question which said to people, do you have trouble paying your bills? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, always, never. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out that people with kids had a really hard time, and that made a big, made a big, had a big effect on me. Not least because I have grandchildren, uh-huh. and I have, I now have five grandchildren, 
and my daughters have a really tough time. They, my eldest daughter has twins of one and a two-year-old. Oh, yeah. She pays 3600 bucks a month in child, child care. care. Yeah, she yeah. spends 100 bucks a week on nappies, on diapers, uh-huh. and buys a gallon of milk every day. Well, yeah. so the first thing is that they, they love the kids, but they're struggling. Mm-hmm. So that seemed to us a good thing to go and think about. What if you take account of that? What happens? And obviously the, the big deal is that, I mean, it's, put it technically, you flip the sign. I mean, that's not something you see much in economics or in science or anything. You suddenly find that once you can take account of the fact that having kids is really expensive, and there's lots of technical stuff in the paper about it, mm-hmm. but once you find, once you control for the fact that having kids are expensive, that sign flips. So it flips so in the... Suddenly, this... take that out, suddenly what, it, what you find is that kids make you happy. Kids make you happy wow. as long as you can pay for them. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, seems Correct. to be the story here. Now, bank of dad might help. Yes, bank right. of dad might help. Right, that's but, right. And then go back to the other thing you asked us, you asked me. Turns out that younger kids um, make you happier than older kids. We yeah. only have data on, have, do you have kids under 10? Mm-hmm. Do you have kids 10 to 14? Mm-hmm. And the big deal is that the younger ones are the ones that really make you happier. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, many, many people listening will have had teenagers as I have. Yeah. And I remember my... My kids going from wonderful, beautiful, fantastic kids to teenagers. Yeah. Oh. Well, let me uh, let <laughs> me put the, the e- economist hat on here. And before we do that, just remind people we're talking to Danny Blanchflower, who's professor of economics at Dartmouth, about his new paper uh, with his colleague Andrew Clark about children unhappiness in family finances. Uh, so, uh, and boy, I had an interesting thought. Now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I'm having my own senior moment here on this. Uh, but I think it was about, well, let's talk about the country differences with respect to that, right? So, right. Um, and the U.S., I think, looks like uh, the worst on this dimension. So tell us what the di- well, what the we, dimension is yeah, on we don't, we, we, Yeah, we don't. I mean, in a way, the reason we went is, I mean, obviously, living in the United States, we're talking to a U.S. audience. It turns out that happiness data for the U.S. is much worse than it is for lots of other countries. We, can't, we haven't done this experiment for the U.S. We've done it for 35 European countries because when you look at the basic data we have for the United States, there is still that result, which yep. is that you just see this negative happiness thing right. So with kids. Mm-hmm. So obviously the attempt here is to say, well, if you had these data, and you did, it looks like, I mean, the 35 countries we haven't talked about, it's the whole of it's all of the European Union and eight other countries. So it's France and Germany and the UK and Spain and Italy and and all that. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. uh, and this is and, and this is sort of co- comparable in the sense that virtually all the things we ever see in the happiness data for Europe is is basically repeated in the United States. So, mm-hmm. so this is mm-hmm. so the broad pictures are that the patterns in the data across all of these countries pretty much look the same. So that's okay. that's pretty mm-hmm. compelling. That's why an economist like me, who's a data guy, says, well, the data looks pretty interesting. And look here, folks. And they're obviously, if this is right, this has implications for what you should do for policy. We probably should get to that. Mm -hmm. If that's true, that financial difficulties are really having an impact on the well-being of parents, then that may well be a reason to think about providing subsidy for childcare for kids. But there's another twist, I think which is particularly worked by Jim Heckman and others thinking about that actually if you get kids in school at three and four, that's actually a pretty darn good thing to do. They learn well then. Think mm-hmm. of languages. Mm-hmm. You can yep. teach a kid a language at three and four much more easily than you can at 16. Mm-hmm. So this kind of suggests that perhaps we should be thinking about helping people with kids 
to deal with their financial difficulties, perhaps make childcare tax deductible. Mm-hmm. In countries like Norway, you make it, you provide it free. For free. But this, yep. this, this would actually, it turns out the data suggests, this would raise the well-being of parents. And it would certainly probably raise the well-being of grandparents. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, probably right. So now I remember the question I was going to ask you. So this uh, young versus older effect, how much of that do you think has to do with the cost? The kids get more expensive as they get older? Right. Well, I think, I think, it's, um, I think obviously the, the, sto- the story here is that still the, young, the younger ones, I think, I mean, the, I think the young, the, the young result is that it's, it's, the, it's that they, they give pleasure, you're learning with them and so on. But I think some of it is that, you know, once the kids get to five, they go to school. Yeah. I mean, the mm-hmm. biggest cost, I mean, think of the cost of the childcare. The day my granddaughter, the day my grandson hits five and goes to school, gets the cheaper. cost of the childcare dropped. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think, yeah, I would like to be able to experiment, but I assume that. You know, the financial difficulties become less right. once you can get them to school. Mm-hmm. So we would like to work on on that, right? Um, and try to think more of that. So, so I think there are those. But I think the great thing about this study is that it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense to people. Mm-hmm. Was, I quite often say, "Does this is this consistent with what people think?" And when I when I go and talk about it, people say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 100 bucks a week for diapers. Yeah, yeah. No, it certainly starts <laughs> to bite. Money. Now, how about the age right. of the parents? Because we were talking about that a little earlier. Right. How, how does that factor in here? Well, we, we, this is actually about, it's not, the, the study's not about parents who have kids who don't live with them. Right. So this is about children who live in the household with you. Yes. And obviously, most, the vast majority of parents who have children who live with them are relatively young because we have kids when they're young. Right. But we find that um, we, we, we separate it out. I mean, we separate it out by, by age of parent, and we try and think, well, 40, uh, under 45 seems like the, the majority of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not so, it's not, it's, it's basically, it, it doesn't seem that kids give as much happiness if the parent is older uh-huh. than it does the younger parents. I mean, uh-huh. perhaps because mm-hmm. I was thinking the great thing about kids is you're supposed to have them when you're young. Because yeah. you've got energy, right? right? I mean, I'm a granddad, mm-hmm. and I get the kids, and they're great for about an hour and a half, and then right. it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we find that the younger parents, the kids have create more happiness when, you know, when parents are young than when they're older. But I think this opens up all kinds of things for people to think about. Mm-hmm. It says for the first time financial difficulties are hugely important, but they can... They change the result from a negative to yep. a positive. And mm-hmm. you and I have probably not seen in our years of working on the stuff. We've not very often seen things that can flip that stuff. Mm-hmm. You can suddenly get flip the opposite direction. result very so simply. When you look at uh, policies like the French policy over the last few years of heavily subsidizing or trying to right. do things to encourage uh, people to have kids, and it seems to have worked, right? I mean, people are having more right. kids. So uh, it is something that's pretty... Um, Malleable, right? Surprisingly malleable. I think so. Right. Well, I think it's malleable. I mean, an obvious place you might think this this would be important would be in Japan, yeah. which has had mm-hmm. this, you know, has a terrible problem of a very, very low female participation rate. Yes. Um, they would like to get people to go to work. They haven't been able to do that. Well, this is an obvious thing to do. Um, I mean, I have I have a, a daughter who has a master's degree in education, teaches in special ed. Has two kids can't really afford to go and work. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So this would this is a, a, an obvious thing that would allow that w- would allow 
people to go to work. And obviously the thing we know is that product, the product, productivity of the economy, measured productivity would rise. Mm-hmm. But we also know that she, 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 that she would go to work and, and working raises people's happiness. Yeah, oh, so that's true. Yeah. Think, it's mm-hmm. hard to think what the downside risk to this is. I mean, obviously people who say, I, we don't have kids, I object to you getting a subsidy yeah. for having kids. I mean, there's obviously that. Um, you know, and we can and we can deal with that. But I go back to the Pope. The Pope would probably like it. Yeah, is the pre- it'd be interesting. Yeah, and it says being married and having kids makes you happy. Financial difficulties are a problem. Yeah, we would like to try and deal with that. This is a sort of family-friendly policy. I think. That's a good question. Is the is the Pope uh, daycare friendly? He should be <laughs> childcare friendly. He well, should be. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we saw, and Michelle may remember this, our producer, relatively recently, I think, on the show, we had some results uh, about why people were reporting they did not want to have children. And uh, the results were virtually all about money. Um, And there was a little bit, I think there were 10 items or something, and out of the 10, about eight of them were all about resources. Childcare was too expensive. I can't afford tuition. I mean, it was just, you know quite striking well, well think, think of the problem we have now i mean the the, the all, all the all the people who've been to college and they have they have college loans they can't afford to yeah they can't afford to buy a house i mean the the other issue which we've seen actually um i'm very related to the things you just said one of the big things we've seen in the united states since 2008 is that people can't afford to break out from from home right you know, they're living in the basement. They can't afford to set up a family. Mm-hmm. They can't afford to set up a new household. And also, they can't then afford to have kids. So right. we're seeing around the world alarming falls in um, marriage. But we're seeing, I, I think I think the big deal is that we're seeing um, declines in household formation. Yes, right. right. You, want, you want people to move out of the basement, set up a house, set, create, you know, get married, whatever, have a relationship Mm-hmm. And have kids, and so mm-hmm. it's the whole—it's the whole process, and a lot yep. of it has to do with exactly what you said. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. It's a struggle. Yep. I can't afford it. There's not good jobs available. Right. Think about around the world the rise of populism. It's about the fact that good, well-paying jobs aren't available, and mm-hmm. what we're saying is that kids are expensive. Right. Mm-hmm. So before we let you go, uh, I understand you got a new book coming out uh, called "Not Working." You just tell us a little bit about that. Well, that's actually, yes, thank you for asking. Yes, the book is actually about um, why we've seen um, slow wage growth around the world, why we've seen the rise of populism around the world. Mm. And I think mm. the, and the big answer is that um, wages have remained very low. Yeah. Um, and, and central banks and policymakers have basically been responsible for that. They've, not, they've imposed austerity. They've done all kinds of stuff, which has actually made it very hard for people. Yeah. So what we're seeing is a generation after the, uh, a decade after the start, of the start of the Great Recession, people are feeling worse off, particularly in rural areas, mm-hmm. in places, in, in old coal towns. And the patterns I talk about are actually very much the same in the United States. People who voted for Trump are very much like the same people who voted for Brexit in the UK, yep. same characteristics. They're hurting and they're the left behind mm-hmm. who voted for Le Pen in, in France. France. Yep. So this is about the left behinds, why people are hurting mm-hmm. and how much this has been driven by the failure of policymakers who've actually um, made the situation worse. And mm-hmm. here we are again, 10 years out after the start of 
um, the Great Recession, we're probably headed into another one pretty soon. So this is about where have the good jobs gone? Why can't people afford to create families? Why can't they? Uh, why, why are people struggling? Why in the UK, for example, a real wage is 5% below what they were in 2008? Yeah. And in the United States, real wages are about... Five or ten percent below what they were in 1973. Right. Yeah, it's well, amazing decline. Surprise, surprise! People are hurting. Yeah, that's what the right. book's about. Right. Thank Good. you. Good. Thanks for that, Danny. We should probably let you go. Danny Blanchflower is professor of economics at Dartmouth College. His new paper is "Children, Unhappiness, and Family Finances," and his book will be out shortly, I guess, from Princeton University Press. And that book is called. Not working, who gets the good jobs? We're going to take a break here for a couple of minutes and we're going to ponder our own happiness and could be right back with you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.